once you start to speak to God, you can't stop. That's what I find. Because it's so wonderful sometimes what just flows up out of your spirit toward Him. And, uh, you know, it's just beautiful just to have that walk with Jesus. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And that's, that is absolutely wonderful. It, I tell you, that cheers me up every day. Sometimes situations in life, they come and, you know, we can fear them. But the fact that Jesus is with us, the fact that he says, I'm an ever-present help in times of trouble, it means that you're going to make it. It means that you're going to get through. It means that, that he, you're going you're to walk through the crisis with him. You may sometimes have to go through the dark night, but you're going to walk through the valley and you're going to keep walking and you're going to come on through. He's so good. He's so caring of us. This morning, again, as last week, we're going to continue just uh, looking at uh, Jesus in Nazareth. In Luke chapter 4, we've been uh, thinking about Jesus when he went to his hometown, Nazareth. He was in the temple, and he began to tell the people in that place about his mission, the reason for which he had come. The reason why Jesus had come was to help people, to go around doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, restore their life to where God wanted it to be. Jesus goes into his hometown in Nazareth, into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he gets handed the book of Isaiah, and he begins to read from the the book of Isaiah. And we find it in Luke chapter 4. There it is on the screen. We're not going to read it, but there it is. You can read it. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And he just goes down and lists all of the people groups that he is going to meet for the next three years that he's on earth. When you read the Gospels and you begin to look at how Jesus outworked that prophecy of Isaiah, it's just incredible. It's just amazing to see Jesus in action, healing sick bodies, raising dead people, encouraging people that had you know, a low self-esteem, had no confidence. He would go in there and he would lift them up. It says, a bruised reed he never broke, a bruised life he held with care, a smoking wick, a, 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 a wick that's almost about to go out, a life that's about to be extinguished. It says, he revived, he helped, he, he brought into newness. And wherever Jesus went, you find this, a wonder, this wonderful dispensing of life, this wonderful dispensing of grace. And life went wherever he was, and it helped those who were downcast, helped those who were captive, it helped those who were in prison. It's amazing to read just how he lived. The great news for us is this, that the Bible actually says he's the same yesterday, today, yes, and forevermore. If, you, if you're in a, in a place today where you feel like a prisoner, held by life, held by circumstance. The greatest news today is this, that Jesus will break you free of that poor life. He will break you free of that captivity. He will take you out of your prison and you will experience a wonderful newness of life and freedom in in Him that you may not have yet experienced. We have testimonies all over this place 
of people that could say, listen, Jesus came into my prison and set me free. Jesus took my burden from me and I, I, I've, I've, I've been living a new life ever since. He's wonderful. He does that. That's what he does. And he does it because he loves us. He loves our lives with an unconditional love. He loves every detail about our lives. Do you know, Jesus, it's really simple, the gospel. The Bible's message is really simple. God doesn't want our lives to just, you know, spiral down. He, he loves us so much, he wants to lift our lives up to the place that he's intended them to be. That's my interpretation of the Bible. It's a really simple one. It's, it's sort of a, you know, a down-to-earth translation of, of what the Bible is. God doesn't want our lives to spiral down. God wants, our, God wants to pick our lives up, redeem them from the, the destructive things that Faye talked about, redeem them from the destructive elements of life. And he, he wants to take care of us because he's got plans for us. He's got plans. Do you realize that? He's got plans for your life, good plans, plans to give you hope, plans to give you a great future. And that's why he wants to be involved in our lives. It's not because, you know, he wants to, you know, dominate and control and, you know, exert authority and say, do this, don't do that. Follow me in every way, in every detail to the letter of the law. He's a loving father. He's not abusive. He's got good plans for you. Jesus turns up in his hometown, Nazareth, and he goes to that place that had a reputation of nothing good coming out of it. That was the, the, the headline over this city, Nazareth. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. The people didn't have any great expectation for their lives because this statement was hanging over the city. Nothing good comes out of this place. So people were groomed in that. Children grew up in that kind of environment. And that was the influence. That was the, the, the dominating mindset of that place. Nothing good comes out of here. So if nothing good comes out of here, really nothing good comes out of me because this is what I've grown up in. The amazing thing is, is that Jesus grew up in Nazareth. Now just think of all of the places that God could have chose his son to grow up in. He could have chosen, you know, let's just take one place. He could have chosen Jerusalem, the religious capital of the nation. The religious capital that had so much history. You would think a Messiah would be born in Jerusalem. If God was going to send his son anywhere, surely it would be Jerusalem. How odd that God would choose Nazareth. How strange that God would predetermine that Jesus would grow up in Nazareth, the place that had the reputation of nothing good coming out of it. Jesus grew up there. I think that's a fantastic message. I think that is so wonderful that God would choose this place specifically for his son to be born into. He was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in Nazareth. He wasn't born in Nazareth, but he grew up there. 
God directed Joseph and Mary to go back to Nazareth and to, to bring Jesus up there. I think that is so wonderful. I think that message is so precious. I think the reality of that, it really encourages me to know that Jesus grew up in a background that was dark, negative, that had nothing good to point him towards. He grew up in a place where nothing good came out of. It's a wonderful message. There are so many amazing details about Jesus' life that you discover as you read the Bible. The Bible just presents them fact after fact after fact. It's incredible. I was just reading last night. I'm going off on a tangent. Just as I was in bed, that scripture from Acts chapter 2 where Peter boldly declared on the day of Pentecost, just one little verse and it gripped me and it's gripping me now. Regarding Jesus, it said, death could not hold him. Death could not hold him. And I began to think about that, and it began to become alive to me. You see, the Bible will become alive to you, and it will illuminate you, and it will encourage you, the life of it. Death could not hold him. And then the Holy Spirit began to open it up to me, and he said, Dave, can you realize, can you see the power of this? The uniqueness of it. Death has held every other person before him. Death will hold every other person after him. Death causes grief. We we become distraught and depressed by it. But the one person it couldn't hold, the one person it couldn't put its arms around, was a man that grew up in a place where nothing good came out of. Hallelujah. Death couldn't hold him. And he rose from the dead on the third day and is now presently seated at the right hand of the Father as this meeting goes on this morning in heaven. He grew up. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. They had a a mentality, this group of people, that nothing good would come out of them. Jesus comes with good news. He says, I'm anointed to break poverty. I'm anointed to heal the broken heart. That's what I want to do. I want to break poverty. I want to heal the broken heart. I I want to help those who are bound up and captive by life. Look, every single one of us know what it is to at some point in our life feel, uh, feel all of those elements that Jesus came to deliver us from. I've been poor. Not necessarily financially, although I've been, I've been poor financially as well. But I've been poor in my mind, in my, in my outlook to life, in my outlook to God, in my outlook to people. I've been, I've been poor. And there are still areas of my mind that are poor. But God is helping me. God is taking me like he is you on a journey. I've been, I've been brokenhearted, maybe not as brokenhearted as some other people have, but I've experienced the emotions of a, of a broken life that I'm trying to put back together that won't peace in place, just like you have. I've been captive. I've been a prisoner at times. We've all, we've all felt these elements, every single one of us, but also many of us have experienced the reality of Jesus speaking good news and breaking through that poor imagery that we have of God 
changing our minds about God and, and, and bringing that fresh message of grace to tell us that God isn't angry. In fact, it's the opposite. God's arms are open. They're loving. He remembers our sins no more as far as the east is from the west. He's, he's put them away from himself. You are now justified just as you have never sinned because of the blood of Christ Jesus. It's settled. It's done. You're adopted by the Father. He's broke through our poverty. He's broke through our captivity. He's broke through the prisons that we've lived in and existed in. And Jesus went to Nazareth with, with a heart to help them. He wanted to heal them, but it says his own wouldn't receive him. They rejected him, and he could do no miracle. He could do no mighty work because of their unbelief. They tried to throw him off a cliff, but he walked on through and walked on by then. Nothing good will come out of this place. Nothing good will ever emerge from this city, Nazareth. Jesus goes in there lovingly to help them. But they rejected him. They rejected his message. How sad. How sad. Jesus was a, a simple man. Luke 10, 38 simply says he went about doing good. Doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Just doing good. Yes, he did mighty miracles, but he didn't ever miss an opportunity that presented it itself to him to get involved in to do good. I can do good there, and therefore I'm going to do good. He went about doing good. And yet he grew up in an environment that said nothing good will come out of here. You see, your outer environment can say one thing, but your inner environment can say another. When Jesus is at the center. You may live today in an environment where nothing good is happening. You may today live in a home, and you may feel the pressures in that home, and everything's looking as if it's going to turn bad. Everything's looking as if it's negative. Everything is dark. Everything is pointing to the fact that nothing good is ever going to come out of this situation. And if it's left to itself, if our lives are left to their own devices, nothing good will come out of our lives. The Bible confirms it. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is destruction. You see, we can go down the road of life controlling our lives and trying to make judgments and trying to, trying to, you know, manipulate things and get along in life and do what we want to do. And it can be the way that seems right to us. But without God involved, without Jesus at the center, without Jesus holding our hand through this, you know, treacherous road of life, without his involvement in our life just to help us on, the end will be destruction. The end will be unpleasant. Because left to ourselves, nothing good can come out of our lives. The Bible says, there is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've missed the intended mark that God had for us. That's not God, you know, rubbing our nose in it and saying, you shameful, dirty thing. That's just to bring us to a place where we recognize without him, we can do nothing. Without his involvement, you know, it's over. 
That's just to bring our attention to the fact that we need him, that, we, that we, we've got to depend on him. And he's ready. He's ready for that trust. He's ready to take us on and to have that relationship with us. Left to ourselves, nothing good will come out of our lives. Left to ourselves, you know, this statement that was written over Nazareth will be written over us. Why? Because of sin in our lives and a power and influences that we can't control. But with Jesus at the center, the nothing good changes. We become new creatures in Christ Jesus. All things pass away. Behold, all things about our lives become new, brand new. And we go on a new course with him. You know, in Genesis chapter 1, I referred to this uh, last week. God overviews six days of creation. He'd made the heavens, the earth, the stars, the seas, the creatures, everything. He looked at and he overviews it over six days. And he looks at man and he looks at woman. And after inspecting all of his work, he says, it's very good. It's very good. Adam and Eve grew up in an environment that was very good. God did not create Adam and Eve or any other living thing under the banner of nothing good. God created man and woman under the banner of very good. They were made in his image, in his likeness. God created them. God can only create good things. He doesn't create anything bad or anything, you know, with, with the label failure on it. God, when God creates, when God's involved in anything, it's got to be splendid. It's got to be wonderful. It's got to reflect its glory, His glory. It will be very good if it's created by God. You're created in Christ Jesus. What does that tell you about you? And sometimes we have to really back up on some of the thoughts that we've taken on. Sometimes we have to back up and reverse on some of the attitudes that have really taken hold in our hearts and we have to reverse up and we have to begin to get in line and in agreement with the scriptures. You've been created in Christ Jesus and God doesn't create anything bad. You're very good. You're the apple of his eye. You're the prize of his life. The reason why he's given his Holy Spirit to you and I is to bring into fruition everything that Jesus has accomplished for us in this life and in the life to come. God only creates very good things and we are one of them. And today, our environment, our outer environment may be saying, do you know what? Nothing good comes out of this area of town. Nothing good comes out of your life because of the family that you've been born into. Nothing good comes out of this life because of the series of circumstances that you have been through. Nothing good, nothing good, nothing good. That's what the world says. Jesus steps into it and changes it all and says, very good. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. There's good news in you as a, as a result of me living inside of you. I'm the overseer of your soul and I'll sort out all of those outer elements that are trying to fashion and conform you inwardly. Paul said to the Roman church, knowing the pressures that were coming on them from the world, he said, Romans 12, 
Didn't say Genesis 31 or Genesis 1, 31. He said Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove, watch, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't allow the messages of this world to dictate where you are and where you're going in life. Paul was saying, let your mind be renewed. Don't be conformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind is such a precious thing. Your mind is such a a, a wonderful instrument that's been given by God. It's so precious, but so many times things run through our mind that are the enemies of our life, and we entertain them, and we take them on, and we listen to these thoughts, and we listen to these suggestions, and before we know it, our lives are on a downward spiral. But Paul says, listen, there's messages out there, church, that are strong, that are negative, that want to fashion you and manipulate you and conform you. Don't be conformed to it. Refute the message. Reject the, these external messages that are saying nothing good will come out of your life. Refute them. Stand against them. And be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because God wants you to experience His good pleasure. His good and perfect will. He wants you to know it. Not just intellectually. But practically unfolding in your life. As every day passes. It's a supernatural experience. Of God's abundance and God's blessing. Being poured out on you. We live in a world that has you know, very strong ideas about God, very fixed and determined uh, uh, images about God and tries to, you know, box him in this angry caricature. Paul says, don't listen to it. Be transformed, be changed by the renewing of your mind. You know, think about the home that you live in. Did you lock it? Did you lock the front door before you came out this morning? Did you check, you know, that the windows were all shut and locked? Of course you did. We take out security systems on our homes. We put insurance policies for contents. You know, if I said to you, do you know what? Listen, we've got to be a little bit more trusting of the people that's around us. Leave your doors open. Open your windows. And you know that security system that you've invested in? Listen, turn it off. You don't need that in your home. Just leave the back door open, the patio doors, the front door, and the windows too. It'll be fine. Let's be more trusting of the communities that we live in. You'd look at me, you'd say, Dave, what planet are you off? (laughs) And rightfully so. What planet are you off, Dave? Are you serious? You do that. Try Well, no, don't try it, right? Don't try it, because if you do try it, somebody's going to walk into your home, they're going to take your most valued contents, the most precious things that you have in your home, they're going to pick them up and they're going to carry them off. They're going to carry them away. And yet, you know, we invest in security systems for our homes. We make sure that the front door, the back door, and all of the windows are locked before we leave home to, you know, make sure that the contents of our house are secure. And yet, our mind 
is open to anything and everything. The doors and the windows of our heart and our mind are just available for anything to run through it. Paul says, listen guys, come on. Come on, your mind is precious. Your mind, what you let into your mind can fashion and manipulate and form your life. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't back down to it. You know, lock the doors. Shut the windows. When something comes through your mind that you know is wrong, refute it and experience this transformation of life that God wants you to experience. On another occasion to the Corinthian church, Paul said this, don't think beyond what is written, referring to the Bible. Don't think beyond what is written. Don't think outside of the Scriptures. Analyze the way you think. Analyze the thoughts that come into your mind. The suggestions that try to come and beat you up and diminish and break apart that confidence that you've been given in Christ. Analyze them. How they try to demean you and devalue you and put you into its mold. Paul says, don't think beyond what is written. When, when, when things come as a predator to your house, the home of your heart, the mind... Refute it. Say, no, you're not coming in here. I love what Smith Wigglesworth once did. He said, I heard doubt knocking at the door. That naughty little devil, doubt. Knock, knock, knock on his heart. He said, so I sent faith to answer, and doubt wasn't there. You see, whenever there's a predator that comes to your life, if we will simply call on Jesus, if we will but simply stand and refute that argument, that suggestion, that thing that is contrary to God's word, then our lives will be secured and follow the plan and the purpose that he has for us. Jesus, in his hometown, Nazareth, went there, I believe, with the intention of making things very good. But they were stuck in and rutted by that statement, nothing good. Joseph's son, he's just a little cocky upstart. Listen, we've got experience regarding the law. We've got experience regarding the Bible. He's, he's interpreting Isaiah's words, and he's saying that he's the personification of them. I mean, is he nuts? He's just Joseph's son. He's been born in this dead-end place like, like us. Nothing good's going to come out of him. Quick, let's get rid of him. We'll show, we'll show him what we think of what he's saying. And he couldn't do anything there with them. The wonderful thing is when Jesus was growing up in Nazareth, he wasn't allowing his external environment to determine the person who he was. Luke chapter 2, let me read it to you. Luke chapter 2, verse 51 to 52. And this is when Jesus came from the temple when Mary lost God. And they suddenly found him, and they were taking him back down to Nazareth. It says this, Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. Verse 52 is really important. It says this, 
And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in, the fav- and in favor with God and man. That's wonderful. He was in a place where nothing good came out of, and yet he didn't decrease like everybody else. He didn't spiral down into the negativity that everybody else chose to live in. Jesus increased in wisdom, in stature. He increased in his favor with God and with man. You may be in a very difficult situation today, and outwardly circumstances may be pressing you, but I'm telling you now, Internally, you can increase in wisdom, you can increase in stature, you can increase in favor with God and man, even when all of your outer circumstances are saying to you, nothing good will come out of you, and and everything within you is speaking a message of very good, very good. And Jesus grew. He didn't allow these outer circumstances to determine his life as to who he was and to, as to what he was called to do. I'm going to ask the band to come up and we're going to close in just a moment. Our expectations of life, somehow, it's, it's a strange thing, but our expectations of life are directly linked to our experiences. It's really strange how our expectations are almost a pre-run of what we will experience in life. And the Bible confirms this very clearly. That's why God wants to help us with the way that we think. That's why the Holy Spirit wants to help us gently change maybe the attitudes that we have. He wants to help each one of us. None of us have got it, you know, cracked. None of us are, are all the way there. We're all on a journey, but the Lord wants to help us change maybe our attitudes of heart. He wants to help us change the way that we think because He wants us to have a very good life. But our expectations determine, and, and it's, it's the oddest thing how this, how this works, but our expectations inside determine the outer experiences sometimes that, that we encounter. The Bible confirms this on many fronts. Let me just read to you some verses that you will be aware of. Proverbs 23 verse 7. It says, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Your heart attitude, your heart expectation, the mindsets that you hold to and the attitudes that you embrace, that I embrace, have a way of creating you. Now, if God's not involved in that, if Jesus isn't involved in that, if the world has has just got It's hands all over our lives, molding and manipulating who we are. Our lives will spiral down. Our lives will have nothing good written over it. But if we can allow the Holy Spirit to help us think in the way that He wants us to think, if we can allow Jesus to change those attitudes that 
have been so strong and so directive in our lives and in our hearts. As we think will be a blessing because as we think will develop into who we are and who we are will resemble who he is. You see, that is why God wants to be involved right at the core of our lives. Paul said on another occasion, he said, let your mind think about things above not on things of this earth. Let your mind think about where Christ is seated. Think about him reigning. Think about him ruling. Think from a position of where he's at rest so that your life and your walk can resemble a place of victory and a place of triumph. There's lots of things in the Word of God that that implore us to think well so that our lives will move towards that place where God has planned. Another verse, it says, uh, Proverbs 29, verse 18, it says, where there is no vision or where there is no revelation, people cast cast off restraint. That word vision and that word revelation isn't imagination. It's not, you know, trying to get a good mental picture of life or, you know, I've got to think positive. Absolutely nothing to do with that. You can think positive and live the most negative life. Why? Because Jesus isn't at the center of it. Positive thinking will not get you to the place or into the plans and purposes that God has for your life. May help for a little while, but I'm telling you, what what Solomon was talking about here was having a progressive, increasing revelation of God. He was talking about having an encounter, a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. Where this vision, your life flourishes, where, you've, where this vision of God, where this understanding of God's Word, everything becomes very good. But when there is no revelation of God that's progressive and increasing, things begin to spiral down. And people just cast off restraint. Well, I'm just going to live for the moment. I don't care about tomorrow. I'm just going to do what I want. Forget the consequences. Who cares what happens? Nothing good comes out of that life. Not because God has intended it to be that way, but just simply because there's no correct picture of God. And if there's no correct picture of God, there's certainly no correct picture of yourself. Finally, Job chapter 3. Job said this, verse 25. For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me. And what I dreaded has happened to me. Job, an incredible man. I love reading about Job. An amazing amazing person that had an incredible relationship with God. But he tells us early on in his journey with God through life, he says, the thing that I feared in my heart privately, internally, suddenly worked its way out of my heart into my outer world and has come upon me in my world. But that fear started within Job. That expectation of life 
was cultivated in Job and suddenly he found it becoming a very real experience. God wants his word to dwell in our hearts richly. That's why Paul said, let the word of Christ, let the word of Christ dwell within you richly. And there are so many mediums in our world that want to stand up and say, listen, let my message dwell within you richly. Give your time and your ears and your eyes to this. This is appealing. This is where your life needs to go. This is what you need to attend to. Paul says, no, let the word of Christ dwell within you richly because God has very good things for you. Amen? Amen. Father, I pray this morning for everybody here under the sound of my voice. Lord, I pray that we would experience this wonderful power of your spirit where you renew our minds, where we as your people experience life transformation. Help us to get rid of those old stinking attitudes that may be crippling us, holding us down, or those mindsets that are so stubborn. You're not into stubbornness, Jesus. You're into meekness. You're into a humble heart. You're not into stubborn arrogance. Lord, I pray, would you help us if we're stubborn, opinionated, or arrogant with our attitudes? Would you just tenderly take them and release us from them? In Jesus' name. Because, Lord, you don't want our lives in any way to spiral down into a place of nothing good is going to come out of this. But in Christ, you've intended our lives to be very good. Very good. Now, while every eye is closed, while people are just praying, if you're here today and you've never prayed a prayer asking Jesus into your heart, I want to pray with you just a simple prayer so that you know and you're assured that you're leaving this place this morning in a new relationship with Jesus. You say, well, how do I do that? The Bible says, call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. It simply means, Jesus, I believe in you. And I want to help you right now. Is there one person you want to pray with me? I'm going to help you. I'm going to pray with you. Just lift your hand up. I'll see it. Then you can put it down. Is there one person here this morning? Don't be afraid. Your heart may be beating a little bit more. You're a bit nervous to put your hand up in public. But this will help you. That's why we do it. That's it, matey. Excellent. Come on. Anybody else? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Put your hand up. I tell you now. What ha- I was 15 years of age when I put my hand up and asked Jesus into my heart. I was in a field, in a tent. Oh, there's a man at the back. At least you're in a nice warm building. God wants something good, something wonderful to come out of your life. And by giving your life and handing your life over to Jesus. There's two people. That's it, mate. Well done. I see your hand. That's James. Well done, James. Come on, matey. 
Jesus gives us new life. Two people are waiting. That's it. Well done. Sandra. It is Sandra, isn't it? Look at that. Even God's speaking me, speaking to me and telling me people's names. No, he's not. She told me earlier. Anybody else? Come on. Don't be afraid. Listen, this is a normal moment. We're not, you know, we put the music down and it's all holy. Listen, let's just be like the common people of the city. Anybody want to give their lives to Jesus? Put your hand up. If you don't, then keep it down. If you want to put your hand up, Jesus loves you. He died for you. Three or four people already. Anybody else? I'm going to pray for you. Lord Jesus, pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin. I ask you right now to live in my heart from this moment forward. Give me the peace you talk about. Give me the joy that you promised. And set me free from anything that would hold me back. In Jesus' name. 